Hello folks, the time is now 8pm this Sunday night and so it's time for the Yellow Bridge Road on CFRC. I'm your host Rue, I hope you're doing very well. It's raining really heavily on my end so I hope you can't hear that. The Yellow Bridge Road is your British music show and we're walking down the path of history this month, specifically queer history as it is June, also celebrated as Pride Month in many parts of the world. If you've been following along through the month, we've done queer music in the 1940s through to the 1970s last week. And we've talked punk, glam, laws, protests, and now we're moving into the 1980s. The 80s was a decade known for many queer icons and anthems, many queer artists hitting the big time in the pop world, the emergence of new wave disco in particular, which had been on the rise since the 1970s, and of course the independent and post-punk music scenes which were thriving in the 1980s. Attitudes began to relax, pop started to go queer. Still, initially, it was fairly coded, bands like Queen, but people seemed to like the idea of dipping their toes in, but were not fully sure what to do with actually openly queer musicians like Jabriath. Still, over the decade, many bands who were, if not openly queer, definitely presented as not straight and found success. It wasn't all smooth sailing. The 1980s were marred by the onset of the AIDS crisis, which not only impeded the progress and acceptance that the queer liberation movement had fought so hard to win, but politically as well. It set the scene for a number of anti-gay laws to be introduced in the UK and the US in the following couple of decades. At the very turn of the 1980s as well, in July of 1979 in Chicago, an anti-disco event was held burning disco records which in hindsight, or perhaps from the outset, was always going to be an event fueled heavily by racist and homophobic sentiment. All that acknowledged, the decade is still best known for giving us some of the biggest stars in the world who were either queer or queer icons, androgynous looks were popularized by Annie Lennox, Grace Jones, Boy George, Freddie Mercury, building on what glam rockers like Bowie and Boland had set out to do in the 1970s. Music videos began openly displaying same-sex relationships, lyrical references were made, and many queer artists shot up in popularity. First up, we're going to be listening to music by new romantic band Culture Club, whose singer Boy George was very androgynous and openly gay since the age of 15. This song, called Do You Really Want to Hurt Me, was written on their acclaimed first album, Kissing to Be Clever, about his relationship with, amongst other men, John Moss, drummer in Culture Club. We also have an iconic song by Diana Ross, formerly lead singer of The Supremes, who, while herself was not queer, had this song which was written for her debut solo album, Diana. It was written by members of funk band Chic, Nal Rogers and Bernard Edwards, and was written for Diana Ross's large community of queer fans. Here is Nile Rogers explaining how he came to write the song in a recent video he released. So the way that the song I'm Coming Out came to be was... Uh, when we went to work for Diana Ross, we were coming off of a long string of hits, but they were all hits by relatively unknown artists. In other words, Chic had become known, Sister Sledge had become known, and Norma Jean had become known because we all had platinum records, platinum plus records, but we were not really stars. We just had hit records. So we were good in the studio business, but we were not good in the star business, certainly not in the superstar business. So before we composed anything for Diana Ross, we wanted to write about things that were in her universe. So we went to her apartment and we interviewed her for a couple of days. In those days, I loved to go out and club hop and party. And Bernard was exactly the opposite. He was a family man. So, you know, he never really hung out with me much except for when we were working. One particular night, uh, I went to a club, The Gilded Grape, 
and the Gilded Grape in the Gigi Barnum room were mainly uh, trans clubs. They were very, very underground, but really super cool and hip. They played the best music in town because they didn't have to worry about the bridge and tunnel crowd, as we called it. They didn't have to play the hits. They just had to play music that inspired people. So I went to the bathroom and while I was in the bathroom of the Gilded Grape, I happened to notice that there were at least six or seven um, Diana Ross impersonators. And I was blown away because it was like that light bulb moment where like I got an idea. But because I hadn't worked with any stars, I couldn't even get excited and say, yo, 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 you know what, guys? Um, man, I'm doing Diana Ross's new record. Because even though people sort of knew me, they really only knew me you know, for Sheik and Sister Sledge. Anyway, so I ran outside to call Bernard because you couldn't call from a club inside because it was too noisy and we didn't have cell phones in those days. So I ran outside, I called him up and I said, look, man, just whatever you do, please write this down for me because I know I'm going to stay up all night and wind up getting drunk and I'll wind up forgetting. So I explained to him the situation that I was in the bathroom a lot of Diana Ross impersonators. And I said, you know, Diana Ross is revered by the gay community. And if we wrote a song called I'm Coming Out for Diana Ross, it would have the same power as James Brown's Say It Loud, I'm Black and I'm Proud. And Bernard finally got it. You know, he woke up enough to get it. And next day we met in the studio and I played something like this. From that hook, we built uh, a song that wound up becoming an anthem. Culture Club with Do You Really Want to Hurt Me? Before that, we also listened to Diana Ross's famous song, I'm Coming Out, which she actually uses to open her shows whenever she's performing. Diana Ross also has a new album that's coming out in September, her 25th studio album, I believe. Wow. There's a single out, which is a lovely throwback pop song with a light touch of funk, and it's called Thank You. Now, the 1980s followed in the aftermath of punk music, and as skinheads and National Front members began to take over punk crowds, the kids who were too young for the first wave of punk, but who grew up on its DIY sensibilities, needed someplace else to go. To differentiate themselves, the labels post-punk and new wave began emerging across the English-speaking world. An important musical movement that shaped popular music, indeed pop music, was a movement born out of a nightclub in Croydon in London. It had a sister wing in Birmingham and led to what some people reckoned was the second British invasion of the charts worldwide, nurturing bands like Duran Duran, Culture Club, who we just heard, Spandau Ballet, Bananarama. But leave all that for a second, listeners, and travel west with me, further west, 
into the town of Newport in Caerphilly, West Wales. Meet a young man named Steve Harrington with an interest in punk music. By 1976, Steve and a few others were known as the first punks in Wales. Steve left for London, where he formed the band The More Murderers with Sue Catwoman, and they recorded a song called Free Hindley. That band ended in 1978 with its members in hospital. The band also included Chrissy Hind from The Pretenders, Dropper Hedden from The Clash, members of psychedelic furs Adam and the Ants. But after that, along with many kids looking to dissociate themselves not only from punk, which was slowly descending into football hooliganism, but also from the Thatcher era recession, Steve was a regular at London's Blitz Club, where he became the doorman and would not admit anyone overtly punk. Indeed, only the, quote, weird and wonderful gained entry into the Blitz. He famously denied Mick Jagger entry to the club, although Bowie was welcome, and Steve, known by this time as Steve Strange, was even picked to feature in his Ashes to Ashes music video. This gained the Blitz scene press attention, who tried various names out for the scene, from the cult with no name, to the Blitz kids, to finally, the new romantics. Steve Strange, Welshman, bisexual, started the band Visage with Rusty Egan, adding one of the 80s most prolific writing credits mid-jury on their breakthrough song Fade to Grey, which we're going to be listening to now. Now, a lot of musicians we've mentioned so far have been within the realm of pop music somewhat, where the wilder the better. David Bowie, famous quarter of the outcasts and out bisexual, had said of his sexuality that he was definitely bisexual, but had no doubt used that fact well. Rock music, on the other hand, home of the macho rock star and guitar-shredding chops land, was a whole other story, but an unsuspecting target, about to be changed by one of the biggest players of the game, English rock band Queen. Queen are one that I personally hold very dear. Freddie Mercury, after all, was from around my neck of the woods. He went to boarding school just about 8 kilometers outside of then Bombay. And now there were hints in everything Freddie and Queen did, but since we're listening to the 80s today, let's listen to I Want to Break Free, but first Visage with Fate to Grey. with I Want to Break Free. On the last set, folks, we also listened to Visage with their song Fate to Grey. Uh, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to CFRC. This is The Yellow Bridge Road. We've been doing queer history all month, queer music history, and this week we're focusing on the 80s. Now, let's look at things from the other side. One of the leading independent bands from Manchester at the time, the Smiths were deliberately different to their peers. A band as influenced by 50s blues and dance floor funk as they were by Oscar Wilde, the Smiths bought into the idea and image of looking at sexuality from a different point of view. While guitarist Johnny Ma in the 1980s wore a very gender non-confirming appearance and based his look on 60s girls groups like the Ronettes, taking such a different approach to androgyny that when the Smiths played BBC Channel 4's The Tube, the camera deliberately avoided him because they were convinced that the British public were not ready for a guitarist to be dressed that to the nines. Also, between the Smiths' record sleeves, the gladioli imagery and their dressing sense, to one of the earliest singles they released being about a homosexual encounter, the song This Charming Man, Morrissey himself did a lot to signal that the Smiths, if not 
being gay themselves were certainly very accepting allies, but that would also be overlooking the fact that Morrissey simultaneously was also very openly asexual, which, if anything, was even more radical at the time, in an era that seemed to have collectively discovered its sexuality. And trust me, I have looked. American band Deer Hunters frontman Bradford Cox and Kim Deal of the Pixies are more or less the only other prominent asexual musicians I could find, so that does still make Morrissey and the Smiths one of the most prominently asexual musicians out there. Today though, we're going to be listening to one of their earlier releases, another queer song, Hand in Love. We're also listening to Stray Dags, not a bad American accent by me, but Australian slang for a very specific phenomenon, uh, which never mind you. The band we're talking about are indeed Australian. Just to move away from the UK-US scenes for a moment, the Stray Dags' members included some of the women who were involved in Sydney's Women's Warehouse, which was a women's only social space that provided a range of facilities including a print shop, a music co-op and a performance arena. Following punk tradition, most of the members learned their instruments as they went along and added on quite a and eventually added on quite an elaborate get-up for a punk band, including saxophone soloist. As their abilities developed, the band played gigs around Brisbane, Melbourne, Adelaide. Many of these gigs were gay and lesbian dances, which were at the time the main forms of queer organisation. In 1983, they released an album called Lemons Alive, which featured a range of lesbian feminist songs, including Het Jungle, Avon Calling and Rude Girls. This album went to number one on the independent album charts in Australia, and it's much harder to find their music even online today, but we're listening to a song called Self Attack. Lastly, we've also got the Pet Shop Boys, whose singer Neil Tennant is openly gay and has sung about his experiences, as well as being an advocate for queer rights. We're listening to an earlier single, Always On My Mind. Boys with Always On My Mind. Welcome back to the Yellow Brick Road folks. On the last set we also had music from the Smiths and Australian feminist punk band Stray Dags. Another asexual fun fact should you want one. American actress and icon Marilyn Monroe has indicated in her diaries that she may very well have been an asexual lesbian. So there you are. On the next set we're finally coming back to the present. We're going to be listening to a lot more new music. And first up, we've got a band called Bitch Hunt, who are a London-based punk post-punk band that I've enjoyed a lot. They describe themselves as, quote, a pack of they-slash-thems howling at the moon. The WEP Shapeshifter is out now, and we're going to be listening to a song off of it called Out of Eden. The whole EP is great. You can find it at bitchhunt.bandcamp.com. After that, we're also going to be listening to Bristol band I Destroy, who are mad energetic punks who have been prolific on the live circuit. They're releasing their debut album, We Are Girls, and we're hearing the title track of that. You can find them at idestroyband.co.uk. Also, we've got Self Love, who I don't know a lot about, but they're a Nottingham-based punk duo with an industrial glitchy edge to it. You can find them at self-love.bandcamp.com. Lastly for this set, George Riley, London-based soul musician and studying lawyer as well. Her latest release is a song called Power that's going to be on her upcoming project, which is coming out next week and is called Interest Rates, a tape.
George Riley with Power. What a set we've had, folks. On the last set, we listened to music from Bitch Hunt, I Destroy, Self Love, and that there, George Riley. Now, it's been a lovely time talking about music history with you, and we're nearly at the end of the show, which means we've just got time for one more song coming in on the Masala Chai section of the show, which is where we listen to new music from outside of the UK. This week, we've got music from an Oakland, California-based queer band called Middle-Aged Queers. And yeah, I think that's really important to remember because for one, it goes a long way in rubbishing naysayers' claims that being queer is any kind of newfangled fad, just the existence of our queer elders. And also the 80s and the 90s were a hard time with the AIDS crisis at its peak and we lost a lot of queer people. Although Californian band middle-aged queers take a more modern approach to being middle-aged and queer. I personally love their track Gary's Making Biscuits, but they've got new music out this year. They've released a track called Size Queen, which you can find at middleagedqueers, as one word, .bandcamp.com. We're going to be listening to that, and that's going to be the end of the show. Tune back in next week. We're moving into the 90s, where the party just gets more vibrant. Specific queer musical movements like queer core and queer sub-communities of genres like punk and riot girl, DIY culture, making it a lot more easier to sort of own your own image and story. It's very exciting. And also the 90s are my wheelhouse, so I'm going to enjoy that. This was fun. In the meanwhile, write to the show. I only know so much and I just get an hour a week, so if I've missed anything that you'd like me to mention, do write in or write in about anything else. I'm open to it. Email the show at yellowbridgeroad at gmail.com or you can find the show on Twitter at yellowbridgecfrc. Here's middle-aged queers, size queen. See you all next week. Goodbye.